Welcome to On the Bright Side, a chance to go behind the scenes and learn all about what's happening on Brightside with your host, Michael Ulrich. Welcome to On the Bright Side. I'm your host, Michael Ulrich, and welcome to our very first episode of On the Bright Side. On this episode, we're going to take an in-depth look at how Brightside came to be and explore all that's transpired since six ATB team members were asked to see if building a new digital challenger banking app was even possible just a little over a year ago. I'm joined today by Alex Newth and James Bullis. Alex joined ATB in 2015 as part of the newly formed innovation group and was asked or told to lead the Challenger Bank project at ATB just a little over a year ago. A lot has transpired since those early days and what's been established is a really strong foundation for how Brightside is being built. James is the director of development at Brightside. He joined the fund here six months ago after about a year spent as a technical lead with ATB. James is focused on overall technical delivery and implementation, leading several teams of developers, analysts, and scrum masters, all integral to bringing the agile framework at Brightside to life. But before we jump in, Alex, maybe kick us off. Tell us about what a challenger bank is really (laughs) meant to be. The easy way to say it is it's kind of like a new startup bank or a new startup brand that's meant to destroy disrupt what the industry standard is in whichever category they're operating in. So whether that's what Scion did with Toyota or what we saw Kudu with Telus, there's a lot of examples of how big, heavy incumbents and large organizations needed to disrupt the way they were thinking and do things differently. So for us, that really looks like a disruptive proposition within the banking space. And we've seen a lot of these examples globally. So we were lucky that when we decided to pull the trigger on this, we had a lot of examples to look at, whether it was Monzo in the UK, which is one that we've followed really closely, or N26 or Revolut, and also just pure challenger startups that have kind of decided to take a bit of a stab and a challenge at the big banks and really reinvent what it looks like. One of the interesting things that's in following some of these examples is the success a lot of these startups or challenger banks in in the UK and Europe have had is thanks in part to some kind of recent regulatory changes that force banks to share their customers' data with third parties so that they could use that data to provide additional financial services if their customers requested it. Now, we don't have similar kind of regulatory changes coming here in Canada, but even despite some of the more difficult landscape to kind of break through in Canada, there are some challengers starting to emerge. Do you maybe want to just touch on a few of the ones that, you know, more close to home we've started to follow? There's kind of two categories categories of what we've seen in Canada. So it's a little bit different globally. I'd say the first one is the big bank launched challengers. So we've got the EQs, the Tangerines by Scotiabank, the Simplys by CIBC. And so what they've kind of done is said, how do we just digitize the entire process, pull out a lot of costs and just create a very low cost offering for consumers that's digital first? The more interesting ones would be the ones like Coho and Stack and Brim, which are kind of new entrants within the credit card or payment space. And what they've done that I think is really interesting is they aren't a bank. They don't have licenses. They don't have the ability to actually keep deposits. A lot of things that customers probably don't even know really about. And they've been able to really create brand new customer experiences and be able to be digital first in the way that they're serving their customers. So they're really upping the game in a lot of ways for what it means to have apps and digital services within the banking industry. And so they're something that we're watching really closely. They still have a few issues that they have to fight for. It's a pretty new competitive environment, but one that's very very fast moving and very, very aggressive right now. 
So now that we've maybe helped set the stage for the world of challenger banks, we want to rewind a little bit and walk people through a bit of the journey that we've been on here at Brightside. So just over a year ago, six ATB team members were tapped on the shoulder or put in a very interesting interview setting. But from there, you guys were pulled together as the original six to go away and figure out if this was even possible. From your perspective, you were maybe in first, you, you knew what was happening what did you think this was going to look like at that point in time? If you can think back just over a year ago, you know, what was running through your mind about this project? It was crazy. So we had done a lot of work a few months before, just kind of defining what we thought the opportunity space was, getting board buy-in, all the approvals we needed. And the interview process uh, was quite a fun one that we took everybody through. We actually didn't tell anybody that we were interviewing them and put them in a room, uh, forced them uh, to do all sorts of kind of crazy things. And we tried to create conflict to see how they would react and and picked them unknowingly. And then a week later, I called them all and said, hey, we really liked how you showed up. Would you like to come on this crazy journey with us? And honestly, at that point, I didn't even really know what I was promising the team and couldn't give a lot of certainty. And the thing that shocked me was with this original team, just how much they jumped into this big pool of unknown around what we would be creating. So we kind of knew generally, we had some frames that the executive put into place. So a achieve 300,000 customers in three to five years, a 40% efficiency cost to income ratio, and don't go to jail. And outside of that, we kind of knew what the opportunity space was. So we knew we needed to be digital first. We knew we wanted to acquire new customers that ATB didn't currently serve. And we knew we had to do it differently. But outside of that, we didn't really have a lot of guidance. So I remember kind of the day before, I wasn't exactly sure how to set it up and I was building Ikea furniture till midnight to make sure the the office was set up for everyone on the first day. And the first day we had some team building, so it didn't feel quite as high pressure. But the second day we walked into the office and I was trying not to be too prescriptive about what we needed to do and have it be more autonomous and self-organizing and all the the buzzwords that you're supposed to do. And I remember we just kind of all looked at each other and we're like, hey, now what? What do we do um, now that it's day two? And so we kind of looked around and we're like, all right, well, why don't we go talk to customers? And so the second day we got out of the building and went and did intercepts on the street and started talking to customers. So we had a little bit of a thought of what to do, but really we were kind of flying blind uh, and just trying to do what we thought was right. Much of the IKEA furniture <laughs> that Alex built still still, still resides <laughs> at Brightside today. So you guys went away. You spent a couple months working through the process, really working to build a business case to take to the ATB senior leadership team and the board to say, is this a viable business strategic option for ATB to move forward with? How did you guys kind of get to ultimately being able to present that business case? So it was a really cool process. The first step that we really did was to be really divergent in what we thought a challenger bank could be. So we really started with customers. And we we had this internal struggle the whole time of do we disrupt banking and do we go into the crypto and the blockchain and use all these crazy technologies? But we kind of kept coming back to saying we really think it needs to solve a customer problem. And so the first few months, we did over 400 customer interviews with the team of six. And we all were doing them. So we were driving to Lethbridge on Saturdays to do eight hours of customer interviews. And then some of the team was going to Edmonton. Some were going to Fort McMurray. A lot in Calgary. We were working weekends. We were working evenings and just interviewing customers left, right, and center to kind of say, what are the problems that you have with banking? What are the problems you have with money? Uh, And then starting to go through the process of ideation when we heard some of those problems to say, here's things that we think could solve it. And starting to put those in front of customers and just like consistently iterating. So we were doing customer interviews daily, which was really, 
really awesome. Everything from quant studies to pure qualitative and everything in between intercepts, going to malls and just talking to people and trying to come up with these ideas. So we thought we landed on some pretty good things. We went from what is banking to here's some kind of brand statements or ethos that we think people might resonate with, which ones are winning, to all the way down to concepts and actual product features and which ones did people kind of land on. And then started to kind of narrow in on the feedback we're getting is very consistent and we're starting to hear the same things over and over again. So we think we've got it and we think we've, we're ready to kind of jump fully in. So we were supposed to do that on February 14th. That was when we were supposed to present to the executive. On December 22nd, I remember having a conversation with Dave and the SLT and we decided to just pull the trigger. They said, we've got enough of it. We don't need the full business case. So the business case wasn't fully done. We had the valuation models and we had a pretty good sense of how much money we were going to make, but they were pretty confident that we had landed on it. And so they said, let's move faster. We're ready to go. We don't need to wait another month and a half. So that was a very restless uh, Christmas break for me because I was making lots of project plans and Gantt charts over the break to be ready to hit the ground running in January. But that was kind of the process that we followed, which was really quite cool. So you get the green light. What were the next couple months like kind of getting to where obviously the initial development and technology started to to actually show up and, and things started to be built? Mm-hmm. The next few months were really, I'll say really important from a culture standpoint, because that's when we started making our next hires. And I'm trying to remember when you joined, Michael. Uh, what somewhere, day it was. somewhere in the middle Somewhere of in that. there, yeah. So we started making our next few hires, uh, whether it was Aiden on the strategy team, Aurora, yourself, and Scott Cormier was our first product owner, and Andrew Wright from design. So we started saying, how do we just start growing this team and getting our next best hires to make sure that we've got the right people around the table? And we started to definitely move into work streams a little bit more so, but wanted to keep that kind of collaborative nature. So for the first few months, we were able to all kind of swarm around problems and start to say, let's all fix how onboarding is going to look and what should this look like and have risk and customer research and marketing all at the table, problem solving through what these kind of core customer journeys and features needed to look like. And we still participated in customer research through those first kind of transition months too. And we used to actually live stream it on the one of the big screens in the office and all sit around and listen while we were working and while we were brainstorming. So we definitely started to get bigger though and you could feel it, but the team definitely grew very intentionally. And so that was something that was really important in those first few months until we got into full-fledged development. So part of that growth was building out a very significant group of technology team members. James is still here, so we're going to turn our attention <laughs> to the technology side of things and how it's really kind of been built and shaped over the last few months. James, you bring a lot of background and kind of development and this side of things. You've joined now for about six months here at Brightside, and there's been some pretty incredible growth, I would say, since you started. Maybe just talk a little bit about how that journey has transpired. I mean, my first thought when I walked here into Brightside was, oh my God, there is so much going on here. The fire hose, we talk about it here and then on the office, and it never really goes away. It just kind of goes down to a, to a maintainable level after the first little while. And we've made a lot of changes in the, in the last six months and prior. And we started from a really good base. You know, we started from keeping ourselves very much in line with the rest of the HP development. All of the core technologies are the same, React, Java, those kinds of things. And then we started making some deliberate changes some tweaks here and there. Things like using AWS instead of GCP is one of the, one of the choices we made early on. I mean, we did that for all the right reasons after a lot of process and, and deliberation and communication. And one of the things that has, we've been able to leverage is the ability to make decisions a little bit outside of what ATB can do. Due to our size and due to our cloud first you know, ability and those kinds of things, we've been able to do things a little bit different, a little bit quicker in a lot of ways. So when you started, there were 
a few dozen, maybe team members uh, on the technology side of things. There's been a pretty significant uptick in in the number of developers that we have working here now. Maybe talk a little bit about why that growth has been so necessary to really kind of fuel the acceleration of what we're trying to build here at Brightside. Yeah, a part of that that oh my god moment was we have a lot to do as well. And I know we were sitting down early stages and talking about how can we get through this mess. Standing up a bank is not easy. Uh, it's actually really hard. I think that's the uh, <laughs> yeah the catch that's the going is, catchphrase around here. Yeah, and there's a lot of work that has to go in there. How do we get to a point where we've got twice as many people working as efficiently as we have today? How do we find those people? How do we find the people that? not just want to be in the office, but also can can work in an environment like this, because it's not everyone will fit in. So building off that kind of sentiment that building a bank is hard, but I'd like to kind of shift it and from each of your perspectives, it's also building it from scratch. And with that comes some really unique opportunities. So maybe Alex, I'll start with you. What from your perspective have really been the unique opportunities we've been able to capitalize on because of the fact we're starting from kind of ground zero? It's really cool because the no jail guidance that we got is actually not about not going to jail. One of the things that we know happens in banking is one customer makes a mistake and then we react and now we're going to throw tons of processes and controls on top of it to make sure it never happens again. And we don't make that same mistake twice. And what ends up happening as a result of that is forms and pages and pages of complication and poor customer experiences. And that was the thing that was most special about what we were able to do is really step back and say, is every step in this process necessary? And not assume that because somebody says it's a regulatory requirement or a customer requirement that it is. And so we were able to take an onboarding process down to 60 seconds completely digitally with only a few screens. And that is totally game changing because we don't need as many controls. And we learned really the rest of the steps were controlling um, our own risk appetite at the bank, not giving anything to customers or anything to regulators. And so that was a huge win for us. We have tons of examples of this where the teams has challenged every single assumption and every single process that we've built. Uh, e-statements, we also learned that that's not a legal requirement and not that many customers even download them because nobody really wants to look at their bank statements. So why spend the money to develop that and to spend time and effort that could be spent on things that actually matter to customers, on things that are pretty much not that important uh, and nobody even kind of notices is there. So we've been able to really prioritize customer value creation and get rid of a lot of kind of old school thinking on everything within our apps and our, our development. So we've got tons of examples like that. I could nerd out for days, but I won't. The last several months has really been intensively focused on completing the build, developing the software. And where we've really landed on is an initial kind of product offering built around savings. Maybe from your perspective, James, on the technology side of things, we're kind of closing in on that home stretch of kind of bringing all the pieces together to be able to have a really first initial offering from Brightside built around savings. It obviously is a significant challenge between all the moving pieces and all the technology we've built to get not just the software written, but all the infrastructure in place. And then it's testing, testing, testing. But now it's time to go to the next level and make sure that we have a truly solid product to put in people's hands. And then going through it over and over and over again, make sure that everything is solid for the launch of the new year. I know everyone is super excited about that, to be able to kind of put what's been built in the hands of real customers or ATBers. And from our perspective as brightsiders, there's a lot to be learned through that initial kind of true customer testing cycle. Maybe Alex, just a few thoughts on the savings concept and really what the intention is behind it and, and how we hope ATBers can be the kind of that first audience for us to really get, uh, gather feedback from. The thing that we're really trying to achieve 
at Brightside. It's kind of what drives it all. And it's to help Brightsiders have a brighter relationship with their money and their finances, which I think is a really cool aspirational goal that we're trying to do through all of our products and offerings. It's so much more than just the technology or the app or whatever the things are that we're going to be making. It's about what the feelings are that we're going to hopefully get from customers. And that's what we're really excited about testing. Our product vision is uh, around meeting people as they are, not as they should be. And we really believe in that. So we're really trying to figure out what does saving do for people and how can we help people in the areas that they struggle with around their irrationalities, around money and their emotional relationship with it. So that's the part that's really exciting. And everything from the design to the animations is meant to kind of put a smile on people's faces and change that relationship. There's a sprint demo a few months ago and I like almost was in tears because it like started to come together and you could feel the how different it was going to look and compared to a year ago when we actually had nothing, not even a screenshot or a sketch of what it could be. And now we've got an app that actually starts to elicit feelings and emotions was really, really cool for me. So what we're hoping with the savings prop is easy to um, use ways to find ways to save when you don't think you could, whether that's through uh, roundup features or um, auto savings, but still putting one of our big design tenants of control back into people's hands to say, if this month is tight and you can't do that saving this week or this month, that's fine. Just skip it. And we're not going to try to penalize you for it or make you plan more than you probably want to be or think about it more than you should. Just push, push a little skip and that's totally fine. And we get it. It happens to people. Uh, and one of the things I'm most excited about is challenges. Um, because where a lot of PFMs are very banky and rational and try to show people all the information, because once you have all the information, you should be able to make a decision, right? It's a little overwhelming for customers because they have to say, how do I budget within 12 different line items or categories? And what happens if I blow one of them and I lose my confidence to keep trying to do the right thing and the willpower around it. So what we're trying to do is say, one of the ways to save is just to spend less. And that's not about necessarily a budget, but it's about setting a goal. And maybe it's a short-term goal of seven days to spend less. The one I like because I eat out for lunch every single day is bring a lunch twice a week. And if I did that, I would save $20 a week that I could then save. And so could I set a goal like that, that actually translates into my real life that helps me spend less that then lets me have that ability to save on a weekly basis as opposed to trying to eat the whole elephant and try to fix my entire financial situation. Can I just take off a small chunk and be able to feel good about myself and be able to be rewarded and reward myself for better behavior? So we think it's really different in the marketplace and something that our customers are really going to love. So we're very excited to get it in their hands. That's going to bring us to the end of our very first episode of On the Bright Side. On our next episode, we're actually going to take a deep dive into that world of kind of the bright side savings features. We're going to unpack the problems that each of the savings solutions is really aimed at solving, how the design has kind of taken place to get us to what those initial product solutions will be. And we'll look at a few things that are a little bit further down the roadmap, but ultimately really part of bringing bright side to life. We hope that you know a little bit more about Brightside and better yet, maybe have a question or two that we can answer. You can send your questions to brightside at atb.com and we'll be sure to answer them on an upcoming episode of On the Bright Side. This episode was written and produced by Isabel Hawker, Don Bashan, and myself, Michael Ulrich. Thanks to our guests, Alec Newth and James Bullis, who are certainly leading the way here at Brightside. 
If you ever want to come hang out with us at Brightside, we would love to have you. Just let us know when you'd like to come for a visit by using the Work From Brightside form that's available on our Google site. And speaking of the Google site, check it out. You'll find links to it from any of the Brightside articles that are posted on Inside ATB. And on the site, there's lots more information about what's happening and what's ahead. Plus, you can join the So Great It's Worth the Wait list and ensure you've got your spot in line to be one of the first ATBers to try the Brightside app as soon as it's available in 2019. Until the next On the Bright Side, stay bright. For more information on this podcast, please contact Michael Ulrich. His email address is M-U-L-R-I-C-H at ATB.com. You can also visit the Brightside G Plus community. Use the words Brightside in your search.